The following program is brought to you by Caltech. Uh, well, thank you, and uh, it's a pri privilege to always follow Ray in a, in a presentation. I seem to be doing it a lot. Um, just to give you a little background on myself right now, I was uh, on the Mars Pathfinder mission as a um, postdoc with Matt Gollenbeck, and then I was able to go on to the Murr rovers, which I was the... Um, I guess I would call it the investigation scientist for the rock abrasion tool, the RAT. And I was um, called the RAT man a lot of times because I was the one who we did all the testing on the RAT. And then, um, so now I have another acronym, which is a, a you know seven letters long, called SASPA, Sample Acquisition, Sample Processing, and Handling Lab, which means that I have to make sure that I can drill a rock and get a, a half a gram of sample to the two instruments on board, the SAM and the, and the ChemMin team, so that they can tell you what, what's on the surface of Mars. Uh, that's a very daunting task. I will talk about it more tomorrow. But uh, if it doesn't work, I'll end up in McDonald's, and, uh, because that's what we have to get sample into the SAM instrument and into the, uh, the Chimera, I mean, uh, through Chimera into the ChemMin system. But today, I was asked to do Mars surface al uh, analogs on Earth, mechanical properties of regolith. It's like two different topics. Okay, so I'm going to focus on the top topic today. I'm going to tell you the idea of what surface analogs are. The word analog seems to have multiple meanings to multiple people. And so I'm going to try to go through all the different types of analogs that we can see, all the way from the large scale to landscape uh, analogs, all the way down to submicron particles that we're doing in some of the drill testing. So... Um, that's, uh, so let's give a little bit of a def definition of an analog. An analog, if I look at it from a material point of view, it's materials that are similar okay, to what you're trying to represent in physical and chemical properties. That does not mean they're identical. Okay? It means similar. For example, I have four basalts here on this screen. I have a basalt from the Hawaiian Islands. Actually, where's the laser pointer? Okay, thank you. I have a... Uh, a lava here, I mean, a basalt here from um, Hawaii. I have a lunar basalt that was picked up by the Apollo astronauts. I have what we be believe is a Mars basalt here in Gusev Crater. And then I even threw in a picture here from Venera, which shows a basaltic plane. So you're looking at four different types of basalts here. And are, am I going to say they're all exactly the same? No. Okay? They are similar. Okay? The word similar is the key word. They're similar in either, either chemistry or, or they're physically similar, but they're not exactly similar. And so when an engineer comes up to me and says, Bob, I need a, a, a density of a normal Martian a basalt. What's a normal Martian basalt? I can't give you a density of a normal Earth basalt. Okay? So he said, but I need a number. So I say three. <laughs> and they say... What's three? I said, it's a number. You asked for a number, I gave you a number. There's no way possible you can do this. But you can come up with some of the ideas of what these materials are like so that you can test the hardware, whichever you're looking for. So how do we define similar? Okay? We do have some information here on Earth. For example, when we're comparing to the lunar rocks uh, or looking at lunar analogs, we got a lot of rocks from the Apollo astronauts. Okay? We can come out with some very good models of what the, the lunar rocks basaltics are, the lunar basaltic rocks are, whether they're the soils are. We brought all this material back. We were able to put it in the laboratories, and we can come up with some really good simulants for those types of rocks. 
We also have basaltic meteorites. So if somebody wants to know, well, what's, the, what's an asteroid look like? What's, a, what's the basalt on a basaltic asteroid? Well, we do have some fragments here on Earth. We have a lot of meteorites here on Earth from, from a lot of different areas, including the Mars and the Moon. Okay, so we do have a little bit of an understanding. And then as Ray was showing you earlier, we do have spectral analysis. We have all the wiggly lines. And so those wiggly lines can give us an idea of what those materials are. But the problem is, as I mentioned earlier, is not all the terrestrial basalts are the same. In fact, I can even go to far that basalts in the same outcrop are not the same. Okay, here's an example. Oops, sorry. And uh, here's an example are these two rocks right here. For those of you who might recognize this, this is the seam of volcanic field in California, okay? This, is, this flows, they're 100,000-year-old flows, and here's a rock, and here's a rock. Those were taken about three feet apart in the same horizontal flow. You have a denser rock at the lower part, and then you have a vesicular basalt at the upper part of the flow. So the question comes in is when people are asking you, well, we need some basalts to test a part of an equipment, you need to know what you're trying to test, okay? All, using the simulants and using the different types of rocks only works if you ask the right questions. And I'm going to go further on and show you that. Okay, so why do we need analogs? Well, I'd like it to be the top one, being a geologist. I'd like to be able to understand that if I have an, earth, uh, if I have an analog of something on Earth, I look at a, a lava from uh, the Hawaiian Islands, and then I turn around and see that same lava on Venus, then I have an idea of the mechanism and how that planet worked. But that's from a, geo, uh, a scientific point of view. For what most people want to use the analogs for is either modeling, okay? They want to model something. They don't know what they want to model, but they want to model. They want numbers. And the sec third one that I work with the most is the mechanical testing of hardware, okay? So people will come up when we have driving, and then we have acquisition, which is drilling, sieving, transporting the, to the onboard instruments. And they'll ask me for an analog material that they can test their hardware in. Here's one of our hardware. It's called Scarecrow. It's the Scarecrow rover. You may ask, why do we care, call it the Scarecrow? It's very simple. It's the rover without a brain. And we use it here. This is in the Mars yard. And you can see we're actually driving up this slope here. What is this slope made of? It's made of soil. Okay. I will tell you later. It's, it's, it's like a clay soil. And it also has a, some rocks that we put in here. They're actually called sandcrete. You can buy them for like six bucks, Home, B Home Depot, worked very well for rover traction. And it's the same type of material that we used when we went into Endeavor Crater a long time ago that, um, on a test. Here's the real hardware. We don't want to use the real hardware. You may say, well, why don't you take the real rover out there? We don't want the real rover dirty. It's a pristine little boy or girl, whichever way you want to announce it. And we don't want it to get dirty. So we use all these other models of systems to test it. And therefore, if they're testing a particular going up a slope, I may give them one type of rock. If they're testing dropping a rover, I may give them another type of rock. It depends on the question. So if you're looking at the types of analogs, know what you are trying to test from an engineering point of view. Please have an idea. Because you, know, you may turn around and use very expensive types of materials when you really don't need to. Okay. Now, so we're going to look at, let's go back and get to the analogs again. We're going to look at the chemical properties, the physical properties, and I'm going to say scale, and I'm going to show you scale dependence in a moment. But basically, you're looking at these types of analogs here on Earth. Submicron particles to the mountains, size particles. You're looking at soils, 
and I'll explain a little bit about soils and regolith because you're, you're, there's not a lot of scientists in here. We're looking at rocks and we're looking at landscapes and terrains. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start from the reverse side and work backwards just so you understand what an analog is. I have a couple pictures of, oops, let me, let me just show you. Uh, I think I can do this, maybe not, yeah. This will show you if it, an idea of one of the analogs that we were doing on the MER testing. You have to see that that material acted totally different than what MER was on for most of the time until it hit that dune. So again, make sure you ask the right question. So let's look at the landscapes first. For JPL, it's easy. We start off with a JPL Mars yard, okay? We have a very nice yard out here, nice rocks, a little building there, air conditioning, you can get out of the sun. And what we do is we do a lot of our early rover testing here. Here's two of our rovers, Fido and, and, and Rocky. And you can see we do a lot of early testing here on this kind of an idea to get the bugs out of the software, okay? Then the next thing you want to do for an analog, if you're looking at landscape analogs, is take it to a natural terrain. Here's our two, this was the 2002 Fido field test here, and you can see that there's a little Fido rover here, and we simulated, we gave the scientists all the capability in the world to drive wherever they wanted to simulate what this little rover would do. It was very successful. Scientists went from that far to that far in about two weeks. And their main goal was to find life, in which I put a fossil right next to it, and they didn't find. So uh, it was a very successful trip. I mean, I had two weeks out there, and it was a great time. In the, this is actually block lava, Black Lava Point, where a lot of the desert rats test and everything. And then this is an area that's on Babbitt Ranch's land, and they, these, uh, the head of Babbitt Ranch's is very cordial enough to let me use the site. Now, we can take that even further. We just had a recent test, and some of you guys are in here. We have, um, this is the axle rover. And if, if you notice, this little rock right here, if you go back to the last slide, it's the same area. There's a little rock right there from the other side. So we had a test a couple weeks ago. We took axle into a real environment, let her go down the slopes, let her uh, sample selections. It was a beautiful test. It worked beautifully for an analog on the surface of Mars, we hope, or some other body in the, in the future. So that's what a, a natural landscape analog is. Okay, so let's go from the big scale and now we're going to go down to the little scale. And we're going to take a look at soils, soil analogs, which is, I think, Randy's main option was for me to talk about the soil analogs. Uh, and you'll see that there are a lot of soil analogs. But before I do that, I'd like to put just to give you a little term between soil and regolith, because you're engineers, you may not understand the difference in it from a geological point of view of what the difference is between soil and regolith. Soil is, is to used on, on, in the terrestrial world as referring to a type of material, broken down material, that in, contains organics. Now, if we go to Mars and Sam finds organics, we're going to have to take our regular term and put soil back into it because it depends on the amount of or, organics in a substance will depend on the difference between soil versus regolith. So that's the only major difference. So if I slip up and say soil, if I slip up and say regolith, I consider them one and the same but I'm a minority, and so um, we're just going to go with that. But right now, that's the only difference is that they contain, organ I mean, uh, can contain organics. So for soils, so soils are composed of particles of broken rock that have been altered by chemical and physical environmental processes that include weathering and erosion. The difference is the soil differs from the parent rock. It's derived from the parent rock. And this is a normal soil chart here for most geologists students understand that. You can see we have clay and we go to loam and go all these kinds of different types of soils. And here's some pictures of some of the earth soils that you can see. 
We have, you know, very shaly here. We got uh, agriculture here. We got granular here. So when somebody comes up to me and says, Bob, I need a soil that represents the earth, what am I picking? Okay, again, go back to the idea of what are you asking before you ask. I mean, I can give you some beautiful soils that grow turnips. You know, it depends on what you're asking for. And here's a typical profile. This is how soil scientists do this, just to let you know. Soil, soils are taught in an entire semester class, so I cannot do justification for soils in a, in a, in a short lecture here. But you can, each of these horizons means something. You go from a leaching zone to an accumulation zone, and the organics are at the top. Now, if I turned around and said, somebody asked me, well, how many soils are there on Earth? Okay, well, the USDA has 12 different types of soils. And each of them are broken down into different types of, you know. The one that I like the most for the planets are these, what they call aerosols. They're dry soils under desert conditions. And the other ones are oxysols, soils with heavy oxide content. Those are two, two analogs if you were trying to do different types of, depending on which body you're doing. If you're looking at Mars, these soils might be very, very good. Or finding something like this, these two types of soils would represent a Martian soil. Just to let you know, where the soils are on Earth, I just put this up here, you can see that the Earth is a very diverse body. Okay, so we have a lot of soils, and it's really because of this stuff called life. Life breaks things down, life changes things, but you can see that out here in the West, we're actually a good area here for the aerosols, right here, and then the other ones are the blues, I believe, is the oxysols, yeah. So you can see that if I was trying to simulate the soils, for a particular instrument or a particular experiment that I have a lot of options, but if you ask me the right questions. Okay, so that's just the Earth. I had to give you a little bit on the Earth so I could give you a little bit about Mars because we all know Mars only has one type of soil. Is that the, the blue area stuff made? Is that the yeah. It's very interesting. I looked at that last night, too, and I was going, huh? Because I, I need to go back and figure out why that is so depleted in organics, and I don't get that area either. Um, I hadn't realized it till last night, which is kind of interesting. It'd be interesting to go back in and look and see why. Now, we all, like I said earlier, we all know Mars only has one soil, so therefore if we're doing soil testing for a scoop or for the wheels or forever, I only have one soil type. Well, I'm not too sure I only have one soil type. Okay, guys? Mars is a big planet. Okay, it's very diverse. And so you can see here's our opportunity soils. There's a little blueberry. Here's our Gusev soils. Ray might recognize this one. This is the Phoenix soil. Okay, there's a little, uh, this was Mecca, the instrument that went down in the microscope and looked at the soil particles that got into the system. And then you can see here's another Gusev. And oh, by the way, here's another, uh, I believe, opportunity. Oh, excuse me, Phoenix. Thank you, Ray. So you can see we only have one soil type. So if we ask for the soils, in fact, I'll give you a little when we were doing the testing for the rover going down into the Endeavour crater, the question was asked me, well, we need to put the rocks. Okay, so I, made, I bought these, sands, these sandcrete rocks from uh, Home Depot, which was really funny. When I tried to explain the lady why I needed this much rocks to make a Mars simulation, she was very impressed. And uh, the funnier part was when, we did, when, I asked, when I went to the sporting goods store and asked for 10,000 BBs. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and he goes, what, you got a lot of mice? I said, no, just one rat. And, uh, <laughs> and he just looked at me. So the way we simulated the soils 
was that we put a whole bunch of sand in there, we put the rocks, and then we threw the BBs to represent the, um, the blueberries. And you may say, wait a minute, iron BBs or whatever, they're stainless steel BBs, and blueberries have nothing chemically similar, right? I wasn't testing the chemistry, okay? I was testing the rover slip ability as it was going down the hill, and those BBs acted as, you know, to give me that slip ability. And I'll still never remember that test. Ray, Ray was tasked to do it, and, of course, he passed it to me. And uh, I, I never forget that either. And Randy was part of this thing, too. And uh, we put this whole thing up there. We built it. We put it up at an angle in Squires, and then all the other Klingons came over. It was funny because nobody helped build it until the last moment, me and three, three grad students. And then all of a sudden, Squires walks in, and he goes, no, this is not going to work. You're trying to make the test fail intentionally because I didn't want to go into the crater. I said, the rover will do it with no problem. He goes, no, 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 we're going to make this as a test. We're just, as a, just to test the test of hardware. So he turns around, and all the managers came over, and they're all watching, and the rover climbed up with no problem. He said, see, successful test, and that was it. <laughs> and the rover had no problem climbing, and I knew it wasn't going to have a problem climbing. These blueberries at the scale didn't affect the wheels whatsoever. And what happened was at these slopes and at the angles, the rover did very well. The rover's only problem was a mirror was is that they were paddle wheels, and they would slide this way because it would go down the stroke. And the reason we had to make the powder we, uh, paddle wheels was because we had airbags. If you'd ever seen the Sojourner rover, Sojourner rover actually climbed steps. That rover had spikes on the feet, and it could literally go up the steps because it didn't have to go anything but down a ramp. But when we did MER, we had to go over these airbags. And so the airbags, the wheels on MER were designed for the first 15 seconds of the mission. The rest of the time, they would not have been the ideal wheels for transportation, but yet, as Ray pointed out earlier, they're still going and they're still working. So, again, know your testing. We also have a, a way of looking at some of the other soil properties here. We have the, tra uh, the tracks, which we have left all over Mars now, all across the area. And then we have this trenching sequence, which we used to do in the early days. Rob Sullivan and Jeff Bizadecki and myself created it at about 3 o'clock in the morning one day. They never give science the early good shifts in the test bed. We get the midnight to eight shifts all the time. And we came up with this idea of, of moving the rover like this back and forth with the wheels to try to get a trench into the surface. And the reason we did it this way is because this little face right here does not get affected. So we actually can see a vertical face into the soil and get an idea of what it was. And it's pretty homogeneous, just to let you know, as you go down with depth. And... Um, but you can see we did this two parts here. This is actually white. You can see the white salts there. There's some kind of salt in there. And you can see what the texture and the soils are made up of Mars. So we do have some idea of the, to tell you some of the properties of Mars, but I can't tell you everything about it if you needed it. The moon, like I said, is very easy. We brought back a lot of moons. I mean, a lot of moons. A lot of moon rocks and a lot of samples. And you notice that most of them are fragments here, broken up impact glasses and stuff. And so the soils on, on, uh, on the moon are pretty uniform. They're dominated by impact. There are two major types of rocks on, on the moon. And, uh, but, and it was funny because they didn't send too many scientists to the moon, only one, Harrison Schmidt right there. And so, the sci uh, the, so pilots, like we, we realize now that astronauts like colors, pretty colors. So that every time if you listen to their tapes, oh, we're going to pick that rock up because it's a pretty yellow. We're going to pick that rock up because it's pretty red. Well, they're all impact glasses. They picked up the least interesting thing on the whole surface. It wasn't until Harrison Smith went. I mean, remember, the diamond is the ugliest rock in the world until you cut it, and then it becomes something. 
So, uh, so the impacting, these, these are dominated by impact processes. The one thing that you'll, we'll talk about tomorrow when I do the, the second part of it is electrostatics. Uh, for those of you who may not be there tomorrow, the moon was very bad with dust. Very, very bad with dust. Most people don't realize one of the astronauts actually got dust on his head and he couldn't get it off till he got back to Earth. Okay, and um, in fact, I heard there's a joke. I know there's a couple of MIT guys in here, so I'm not going to insult you. But I heard that there's a particle science people at MIT. The joke is, is that they bring freshmen in and they let them take these very small submicron particles. They play with it, then they tell them to go wash it off and it doesn't come off their hands. And so they walk around school for the first week and you know what, the, what their major is. <laughs> and um, that's the joke I heard. And it's the same thing with this stuff, this, this, the, the powder and the surface. Although we have these soils, okay, and we can simulate these soils, you're never going to do any testing in these soils. OSHA will never let you do these testing in these soils. Trust me, you don't have that problem. Uh, and the other thing, like, with these particles stick to everything. And so one of the things was very interesting is when the rovers had the little, I mean, when the astronauts had those uh, little doom buggy, they actually had so much electrostatic charge buildup, which we can't simulate on Earth because we have water, that when they stepped out of, the, out of that, it was a Faraday cage, and when they stepped out, they glowed. They actually like a neon bulb, the astronauts in their suits, because they had built up such a charge. Those things cannot be duplicated on Earth. So that's where you have to understand, what are you trying to test? Now, if somebody asked me, I need an example of a Venus soil. And you might think that's kind of funny, but we just had a Venus test, test, page, uh, test um, platform put together, SAGE. And I had that question asked me, what's a good Venus analog? Well, I got three pictures. You tell me what the, what the best analog is. I, you know, I can give you this. I can give you this, broken up fragments, rocks, and everything. That's all I got, folks. We don't have the data to give you those kinds of rocks, but we can, we can probably, if, you know, when in doubt, use basalt. So it's a very interesting idea to do it. Just use basalt. Okay, so the question you're having is, are you using the right materials when you're doing your testing? And this is a very, very, very interesting question. For example, you know, the, I'm going to show you a picture in a minute of scale. When you're doing something with a rover, especially mobility on the surface, and you're trying to test it, scale comes into a into factor. Okay, it's a very interesting thing whether you're using whether your wheels are working with the right ground pressures and stuff like that. So always keep the scale in in, in mind. The other thing is that even though you call those four rocks basalt, they may have started out the exact same thing, but they've now changed because of something that's gone on in the environment, whether it's atmospheric pressure, atmospheric composition, temperature. Okay, so those rocks may not be the exact same thing you're thinking about. And here's the key one, and, and I'm going to have to tell a story on Randy real quick. But usability. I mean, it is so easy to make up, I mean, to make up a lunar simulant. But the problem is you can't use it. Not unless you're going in there with a spacesuit. We, um, we actually did a test bed for MER. And it was uh, in the Issel building. Randy and I were part of that. And, the, and the, their only requirement was we want something that's on Mars and looks like it. Wow, that's a good requirement, man. So I have something on Mars. When in doubt, basalt. Something that looks red. Ah, how about a red basalt? Red ash. So I found a lady in Flagstaff, Arizona, who owned a cinder cone. That was tough. You have to find a lady who owns a volcano. It takes you a while to do some phone calls. Well, we put this stuff in there. They wanted it like Mars. They didn't want me to clean it. They didn't want me. They wanted this material because it looked just like Mars. When Randy and I put that stuff in there, the entire room turned red. 
There was so much dust in that material, everything turned red. We wiped out the ventilation system in less than an hour. The telephones had a layer of dust everywhere, red. It was beautiful. It looked just like Mars. <laughs> That's not what you want to work in, folks. You can't test in that kind of material. Okay, and I, all I can remember is Randy back in the in, back shoveling, and we're at the other end looking, and he disappeared. We could not see him because it turned totally red. So you got to be careful about the usability. Is that OSHA is big time? I mean, OSHA is very, very bad when you want to do test bed setups. Okay, for example, I used a submicron corundum. Now, I wanted to use it on Saspa to see if I could find something that would scratch the interior of, of, of it. And so I bought a little container of submicron corundum. And boy, did they jump all over me at JPL for bringing in a hazardous material. And I had to go over there in front of the gurus and tell them where I got the material, first of all, which was really, they didn't believe me. The first thing is I got the material at a beauty shop. <laughs> it's used for face peels. Okay? And so they, they looked at me and go, no. I said, yeah, here's the receipt. <laughs> I got it at a beauty shop because I wanted these hard particles. They're the hardest I could think of. Diamonds, I went to Richard Cook and asked for diamonds, but he wouldn't give them to me. And uh, even, even synthetic diamonds I couldn't get. And so I said, okay, corundum will scratch the interior parts of Camara, and I'll show you what Camara is later. And I wanted to see if I could find, be able to scratch it on this material. So finally I convinced them to let me through on all the paperwork and everything and let me use this, but I had to wear a mask. You know, while I'm using the corundum, I don't see any women in there getting face peels that have masks on. And I'm just like, okay, it's just different rules and different usability. Okay, so scale. For those of you who remember the Pathfinder day, this rock was Yogi. And you can see Pathfinder had a real hard time getting over Yogi. <laughs> okay, Pathfinder went up to it. We put the APXS on it. You can see the wheels, too. If you, I, I'll tell you a little bit about the electrostatics on Mars. Mars is very bad for electrostatics. Worse than the moon. There's what's called a passion curve, and it dips below the line. The moon is in a vacuum here, but Mars is in the worst place for electrostatics that you'll find in the solar system. And every now and then, these tires would just cake up. And then about every four weeks, they were clean. Of course, the New York Post had it as a little Martians out there cleaning the windows and everything. And what it was is electrostatic charge build up, and eventually the charge would dis dissipate and blow the dust right off the tires. And it, it happened about four times during the mission that the tires became clean. But now I'm going to tell you is that if you look at Pathfinder, I mean Sojourner, then you look at the Murr rovers, and now you look at MSL. MSL will not see that as an obstacle, just to let you know. MSL will be able to ride right over that rock if it, if it, if it had to. In fact, I'll even tell you a secret. If you put the antenna down, MSL can ride through the hubcaps of the wheels. The Sojourner, excuse me, Sojourner can ride through that MSL hubcap. So we're talking scale now. So you would do a different type of test bed for Mars Pathfinder versus MSL. It's a scale type of thing. And again, understanding from an engineering point of view what you're asking. Now, some of our recent test beds, I put this up here. Randy will remember the quartz sand that we used, and all of us got silicosis. And, uh, you know, from the quartz and using that, I'm going to show you a picture in a moment. As I mentioned, the Fido, the Fido guys were very smart. They went and bought this room, a beautiful red garnet. Oh, it was, you could make rings out of half that stuff that was in the room. It was beautiful at $25,000 for this little room filling up with soil. It was really amazing. It didn't break down. It held together pretty well, and it simulated a little bit of what the rover wheels were driving to. It was beautiful material. 
We went with the volcanic ash. Eh, wrong. You know, I just remember three years later when they came back with the OSHA people and said, Bob, where's your little safety sheets on this? And I said, what is a safety sheet? I just bought, if I had a truckload, 600 bucks for a truckload. That's what it cost me. It was cheap. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I, I know Ray's going to talk about spirit and his recovery effort. Boy, that stuff was really bad, too. <laughs> I want you to know they're using diatonomous, diatonomous earth. No. Diatomous, you got it. Ray can explain it later. But that stuff was really, really bad to use, too, and you'll see some pictures. Now with the Mars Science Laboratory, guess what? I went back to Garnet. Okay, we spent $25,000 to clean ISIL out. And, and it's really bad that we had been in there for five years working in there, and when they come to clean it out, they're wearing hazmat suits. <laughs> you know, we're just looking at them going, huh? You know, and so they came in and cleaned it out, and I filled it up. I found a, a place up in upstate New York that shipped me three truck trains cars of garnet. And this stuff is pretty clean. It's actually used for water purification. Now, if somebody puts it on there in chemistry and looks for the chemistry of it, they're going to get it right? No. This is from a physical point of view. It works very well. Phoenix used the best stuff so far. It's the baghouse dust that we found up in Boron, California. Uh, it, too, has submicron particles, which... That's why they went over and did it at the University of Arizona. They don't care if you wipe people out at U of A, but JPL does. And so you should be wearing masks if you use that. But the Phoenix test bed did use the baghouse dust. And it is basaltic. And I'll show you some pictures of it in a moment. And then the last one we re just recently did was Moonrise. Moonrise is one of the simulants we use, and I'll explain it in a little bit in, in detail, is JSC-1. JSC-1 is a very good lunar simulant, not only for chemistry, but also from physical properties because they have it here and they can, you know, they, they have the actual lunar soil there and they can match it the best you, you can. So it's a very good simulant to use and Moonrise did that. Now, I will let you know it's $55 for a, I think a 55-gallon bucket or something. So to fill it up, it probably, you know, the, the Moonrise test bed, it probably cost you, you know, what, $30,000, $25,000 to fill it up. So let's look at our first test bed here. This was a Marie Curie rover in the test bed here was all sand. We had, boy, we had bit one big rock here. You can see how we simulated the sand dune. I remember coughing about three days after putting that sand dune together. And you can see the rover came off, went pretty well. And then this is the landscape we landed in. I think our analog didn't work very well, okay, because we really didn't know the information in those days. But that's what Sojourner was tested in, and this is what Sojourner did on the surface. And I always say to this day, Murr or MSL would be a perfect, I mean, the, that site for, the, uh, for Pathfinder would be perfect for those because I think you'll find a lot of information. Sojourner just wasn't the right rover at the time to go there because it didn't have much of, of a mobility range. So you can see some of our test beds. I, didn't, I don't have any other pictures of any of the other test beds, but I just wanted to put that one in there so you'd understand scale. Now, let's go to some of these simulants. And so here's some additional problems that I wanted to, to mention using the rock and soils. I want to let everybody know that rocks are heterogeneous, okay? As I mentioned earlier in that SEMA field, I remember with the rat, I think Ray uh, got some kianolon basalts for the rat testing, early rat testing. And then Ray told them, made a mistake and told them where it was, and so they went back and collected their own. Well, the ones that Ray had were very solid basalts. They were very gray when you cut them to it. They were very nice-looking basalts. The ones that Honeybee showed me about a year and a half later when they ground into them were brown. They were so highly weathered 
that they were broken down. So when they grinded into them, they got great performances. Yeah, they're, they're not basalts. They're weathered basalt because they, what happened is that the whole line of chain where they could have collected the materials had different water. And so therefore they had different types of basalts. So if I was going to pick, and this question, you may think this is really funny, but when we were starting to do the early drill testing, I had to come up with rocks that we could use to drill to simulate what we might find on Mars. Okay? So Joy, Chris, and I put together this huge, huge list, which I'll go over tomorrow. And out of that list, the scientists said, I mean, the engineers said, I need two rocks. That's what they told me. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Out of all the rocks on the surface of Mars, you want to drill two? Yeah, we want you to, I love this word, we want you to bound it. Okay, bound it. Okay, how do I bound a rock? Well, you'll find out later, I found two rocks that we bounded it. And we've done 99% of our testing in two rocks. Okay, some of the simulants. This is what Randi asked me to, to go over a little bit, so I'm going to go to it. Uh, we'll start with the moon. JSC-1, as I mentioned, is a very good uh, analog. It's easy to duplicate because we do have the Apollo samples. It is developed at the Johnson Space Center. Most people don't realize, but it's from Flagstaff. It's actually collected off the San Francisco peaks there in Arizona. And the simulants, chemical composition, mineralogy, particle size distribution, specific gravity, angle of internal friction, and cohesion have been characterized and fall within the ranges of soils. Yes? Mm -hmm. That is correct. Now, I'm going to also let you know that the moon is the only one you can do that for. Because these values are, do not exist for the other soils or for the other bodies. But yes. Right, exactly. We can guesstimate and give you ideas. We can bound the problem, okay? <laughs> but we can't tell you what those numbers are. Now, uh, Rob Sullivan has done an excellent job, and Ray's going to be doing This is part of the problem, too, is that Ray has to have some of those numbers for his modeling. So you have to bound those modelings that you'll find out later to get these types of things for the, moon, for the Mars. But right now, for the moon, it's very easy to get. Now, I, I'm, I'm really impressed. Because this is so good, you know, and everybody uses it, I don't understand why we have 19 other different uh, types of simulants. We have a, a Fuji Japanese simulant, 1, 2, and 3. We have a minute. Minnesota lunar simulant, and then we have all of these. The moon is very easy because there's a lot of simulants. And again, why do you have so many simulants? It's because you need to look and see what you want to test. Okay? Minnesota, eh, they're Yankee territory way up there in the north. Maybe they don't like using anything that's from the, you know, down in Texas. I don't know. But, you know, they have plagioclase, olivine, pyroxene, and ilmenite. Those are your main four that you're going to find for any lunar simulant. Uh, I like Jap uh, the Japanese one here. You know, went through grain size Apollo 14. Then they went to Apollo 14. And then they said, oh, well, we don't match Apollo 11. See, even on the moon, the soils do not match. Yes? <laughs> we'll come to that. <laughs> Kaolinite is a physical property. You won't find it on the moon. That's a, that's a clay. Boy, this clock flashes at you up here. It's pretty ugly. Okay. Uh, Martian simulants, not as many. JSC Mars 1A, we hear this all the time. Everybody, I'm going to use J JSC Mars 1A. JSC Mars is a plagonetic tephra from Hawaii. You can pronounce the cone's name. My southern would kill it. And, and so, yeah, <laughs> thank you, Ray. And uh, <laughs> I'm not even attempting to kill it. 
The thing is, is that what people do not realize, this has been repeatedly cited as a close spectral analog to the bright regions of Mars. Spectrally, chemically, it's an excellent analog. Physically, it stinks. It doesn't have the soil properties. It doesn't have the soil. It is a worn down volcanic ash, basically, a, uh, a uh, tephra. Okay? It does have some, it, it, you know, it is compared by chemical composition to what was found at Viking Lander 1 site. But if you're trying to do rover mobility, JSC1A is not what you want to use. It's not the same. Then the UK has some that they're using now for the ExoMars and their, and their studies here. They have it, what they, 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 I love this ESX because they figure they're going to keep adding to it as they go down. So now they're at number three. And, and I, this, this statement, well, on their webpage, you can actually buy these things. Just to let you know, this is sold by, I think it's called Orbitech, is the one who makes this material. So there must be a little profit in JSC Mars 1A. But this, these guys are really good because these materials were tested to determine their physical characteristics. They included the particle size, blah, 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 and the moisture content to match Mars. We don't have any of that data, so I'm kind of curious what they're matching, but okay. Now, for me, I use this JPL uh, baghouse dust, 150 micron. And what that was, we found a place up in Boron. We, we came up with a new basalt called the MMS. It's a Mojave Mars simulant. And it, it actually has a lot of characteristics of a very clean, young basalt. And so what we found was a company that used it for tiles for the roof of houses. And what they did is they went through, crushed it, and they took everything from 150 micron below and threw it away. And that stuff is really cool. And when you look at this 150 micron stuff, and this is what Phoenix tested in, I mean, you could actually tap on this and make dry avalanches, which I thought was really cool for Mars. And, uh, but you, you simulate this, and, and this stuff is basaltic, fine grain, works very well for certain testing. We used it for rover drop test. And what you may ask what rover drop test is, is up at the top of a, of a building, we turned around and dropped Scarecrow and let it land because we have the sky crane landing system, and if it didn't like, like, you know, work right, we wanted it to hit. So we, we put, hit it in this stuff first, and then we put rocks in it, and we hit the rocks. And we kept putting more rocks, and they kept asking me for more rocks, and finally we broke a wheel, and then they stopped. And so we were cool. And so uh, at that point, um, this stuff is very good for a Mars analog. Now, Michelle, this clock, you're going to have to explain to me. Thank you. Okay. So I, my question is, should I stop there and finish the rest of this in tomorrow's? Okay. Finish the... One slide I have left? Okay. So, the analogs needed for the MSL. This is what I'm going to get into on the course tomorrow and some of the analogs that we need. But we have two types of analogs drops that we need. We need a mobility system here. So we have to test it, as you saw, in the Mars yard. We've also built a ramp that you guys, just to let you know, a Hummer can go up that ramp. I, I, it's amazing. I think everything on MSL is on roids. And... Um, because, I mean, you could literally drive a car up this ramp. I don't know why they needed it. We couldn't have driven one on our Merwin. And then we had drop testing. We've dropped this rover on all kinds of things, and you, you'll see some of the simulations tomorrow. But from my point of view, this is what I have. I have drilling. I have sieving. I have transporting of the materials. I have scooping of the materials. And then I had just one. This one was just added. We found out that, thanks to Phoenix, Ray, Ray caused me a lot of problems when Phoenix landed. Well, actually, he helped me a lot because a lot of these problems we thought were going to happen 
Ray demonstrated that they did happen on Phoenix, and so now Sospal had to make some bigger changes. But we have to put wind guards around the, the vents, uh, the entrance vents to the instruments on the deck. And so now we're simulating that uh, right now up at Ames with uh, fine dust material that we're using, just to let you know, baghouse dust. And uh, we're simulating that to see how the winds move around the system and whether we can drop a, uh, particles in. Because remember, I'm drilling into this rock. I can create a nice Dixie cup full of materials. But by the time I go through my whole system, I'm dropping a half an aspirin into that system. A half an aspirin. And I don't want to start singing the song from Kansas, Dust in the Wind. Okay, because that's what happened when, Fe when the Phoenix team tried to put their material in there. It covered the spacecraft and couldn't get it in there because dust in the wind. So now we have to put wind guards. Well, anytime you make a change, something on the spacecraft changes. And so now we're trying to simulate the dust. And tomorrow I'm going to go into all the kind of properties that we use with these materials um, and try to explain why I picked these. The kaolinite rock you picked, you must, um, the two rocks that we actually picked for MSL was kaolinite and saddleback basalt. Kaolinite was picked because it is a clay. It is not a hydrated clay. And it's the one that I could get in bulk quantity. So far, the Saddleback rocks, we have used over 2,000 pounds of rocks to drill in the MSL drill. It would be nice to get these nice little iron, magnesium sulfates, you know, that we could drill and I can get a thimble full out of a lab. But it doesn't work with my percussion drill. So kaolinite was on the one end, soft, sticky powder. And I remember, I only had two rocks. And the other one was the Saddleback basalt. And then there's four other rocks we tested for reasons that you'll see tomorrow. So kaolinite was picked because I can get the quantity of it. There's a nice, friendly guy up in Mammoth, right off the ski slopes of Mammoth, that mines kaolinite up there. And he, just, he loves JPL, and he gives it to us for nothing. So cost, excellent. Doesn't cost me anything. It simulates a very soft, sticky material, and um, I could get large quantities of it with no problem. Uh, a lot of people ask me how come I don't use sand and, and sandstones and stuff like that. Well, we haven't got to that point yet to know those kinds of properties. Tomorrow you'll see where we're using some uh, what's called volcanic breccias and stuff like that for subsequent testing. But for the workhorse samples to test the drill, remember, we've got to get the engineers, when they drill here and it fails and they drill here and it fails and it drills here, they have to be able to know that the rock is not changing on them so that they can fix the hardware before they can fix uh, the rocks. And so that's what we're doing. Okay, and I'm going to leave it at there because I have a, another second set for tomorrow. Any questions? This program is brought to you by Caltech. Visit us at caltech.edu.